Not that dads don't love us. We know that that's true too, but there's something about the way moms care. Something about the way moms mom. And so we want to honor our moms today and just pronounce a special blessing over you. Would you stand if you're a mom today? You're a mom, you're a grandma, you're an adoptive mom, you're a spiritual mom. Some of us have never had natural children maybe, but you've, you've raised some spiritual children. Um, and, and something hit my heart. We were, a few of us were talking this morning before service, and, and, and something just hit my heart. And, and I don't know if it applies to anyone here or perhaps even online, but a mom who doesn't think of themselves as a mom because they lost a child. Maybe it never came to term or, or whatever. But I want you to know something. Your mother... The moment of conception, you became a mom. And that's something you've carried and a loss and a hurt that you've had that, that God just wants to heal you today. He just wants to touch you today. He wants you to know in this moment that when we celebrate moms, we're celebrating you as well. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for every mom that's here and the place that they've played in our lives. Moms bring special devotion to us, special attention to us, special love to us. Moms have a capacity to give without expecting much in return. They have a capacity to give and to love and to hope and to care and to nurture even sometimes when what comes back to them is disappointing or less than what they had hoped. God, you've, you've made them special, special people. And they've filled those special spots in our lives. And today we want to ask a special blessing on them. Today we want to ask that you honor them. Today we want to ask that you would show yourself strong on their behalf. Today we want to ask that you would just pour out your love upon them. Let them sense and feel. Let them actually be able to feel the blessing and the hand of God on their life. Lord, we pray that the dreams they yet have, that they haven't seen yet, that they would see. That the aspirations that you put inside of them, maybe even things that they've put aside because they've carried it for so long, but have almost forgotten about it because it hasn't come about. Lord, revive those things inside of them. Lord, moms whose children are all grown up and are in a way, help them to understand their job's not done yet. That they still play a vital role. Even if it's nothing more than prayer. Because prayer isn't often the least we can do. It's the most. As we carry people in our hearts before you. Lord, in this, in this very quiet but still moment. Bring a comfort to those who need comfort. Bring the strength to those who feel weak. Bring help to those who are in need. Bring encouragement to every heart that feels discouraged. Bring joy where there's been heaviness and laughter where there's been sadness. You are God, and you live inside of them. Let the fullness of your life well up and overflow in them. Let them find their joy and their fulfillment first in you. And from that relationship, Lord, then they find all the resources they need to be moms and to love others. So, Father, today, in the name of Jesus, we bless them.
with all the fullness and goodness, kindness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let me make a couple of announcements before we go into the message today. First, our our young people, if you're in middle school and high school and you're in the room, you shouldn't be. Um, Our class is is beginning in just a moment, so you're dismissed now to go and and be a part of those classes. Um, Speaking of moms, you'll notice on this side of the lobby, we have a couple backdrops set up. Um, Some of you maybe took advantage of it on your way in. If not, we'll have a couple people floating around in those areas after service. And you can feel free to just stand and bring your phone, give it to one of the attendants, and, and let us take a couple pictures of, of you and whoever, whoever is with you today. Um, grab a few friends. And we can be generous since it's your phone and your memory. We can, click, you know, we can take a lot of pictures, so it, it doesn't matter. But just have fun with that. Um, it's just something we wanted to do today to let you know that we think you're very, very special. Young people, or if you know... Um, Middle and high schoolers, we're, we're taking registration now for Serve the City, which is coming up in June. Um, you, can, you can go online and, and find out all that information, and you can register there as well. Um, and then graduates. Uh, we're going to honor our graduates the first Sunday in June. Uh, so we need you to um, respond to a special invitation. We're asking you to submit a video. If, if you go to chrisassembly.com slash vids, you'll see all the information that you need um, for that special time of, of celebration in a few Sundays from now. So if, you have a, if you're a graduate, you know a graduate from anything, graduating from anything. If, you graduated from, if your dog graduated from obedience training, we'll, we'll celebrate it. It, it, just, it just doesn't matter. Um, would you submit a video? Um, and follow the instructions of a couple of things that we want to be sure you include in it. We, we would appreciate that. Okay, let, let's get into the message. I'm pinch hitting today for Pastor Jeremy. We're still in a series called uh, Restoration, Relationship Resto. Um, and he, he and Shannon took a few days off this week. So, so I'm going to do my best to try and, try and fill in and not mess up his series too much. Um, I, I want to talk today about... A topic that, frankly, I believe can revolutionize life. It, it can revolutionize your life. It can revolutionize the life of your family, uh, a life of your neighborhood. It can, it can revolutionize the life of our nation and even of a world. It could, it could change things that need changed. It can alter the very climate and atmosphere in which relationships move and operate. It could restore marriages and, and it could restore things that have been broken down and torn and destroyed. It, it can revitalize um, hope. It, it has, it, it has a, a, a uniqueness about it that we need to spend a few moments today talking about. Now, I want to talk about honor. Honor. Not, not a common word these days. Not something we talk about or discuss a lot, but it's, it's vitally important. In the kingdom of God, it's one of the highest virtues there are. This ability to show honor, to give honor to one another. I also believe that it's one of the most ignored virtues in the kingdom of God on earth today, within his, within his kingdom here. Within, even within his church, certainly within the world in general, but even within his church. So as we're going through this series on relationships, um, I, I want to see how this fits into where we're at, okay? Yeah. We're, we're building the whole series has been being built around the Ten Commandments. We all know about those. Um, it, it's interesting how over time, um, in all different sorts of civilizations, when it comes to trying to... Um, put parameters on relationships, on how a community or a, a country or a nation is, is going to operate. We come up with hundreds, thousands, probably over time, millions of laws. Millions of them in our own country. There, if you tried to go down the list of all the laws that we've created on a federal level, state level, local level, you, you'd, 
you'd probably exhaust your life before you exhausted the list of all the laws that we've created, trying to put parameters and, and safety nets in which relationships, in which people can live and it, and it work and it be productive. Isn't it interesting that God only needed 10? And if a person, a family, a community, a world would live within the parameters of those 10 laws, life would work. You understand that? In God's wisdom, life would work. Do you believe me on that? You're being quiet. Don't be quiet in church. I don't like when people are quiet in church. (laughs) Ten laws. And so it's worth looking at. It's worth looking at them. And that's what we've been doing. That his, these ten laws give us the framework for society. They give us the framework for how life is to operate. And of course they would work because God is the author of life. So he probably knows how he set it up to work. So we've been working through these relationships. We've gone through the first four, which are about our relationship with God himself. We've gone through no other gods before me, no idols, no, don't take his name in vain, uh, honor the Sabbath, keep keep it holy. And now we're going to look at the, the Latin. Now there's a change right now. You can almost draw a line. After the fourth commandment, you can draw a line. Everything above it relates to our relationship with God. Everything below the line talks about now our relationship with one another human relationships. And, and that's what we're going to be moving into in this area and time in, in the series and, and to complete them. Okay? So we're going to talk about um, the, the sixth commandment talks about murder. The seventh is adultery. The eighth is don't steal. The ninth is don't lie. The tenth is don't covet. But the fifth is an interesting one. Now, it's important to know that in Scripture, when you find lists, many times, because it was the, it was the culture and it was the way people wrote, the order, the sequence of those lists was important. And so, of course, it makes sense that the first four are going to be about God and our relationship with him. But now as we move into the list that talks about our relationship with one another, you, you look at some of these other things. And we're talking about murder and adultery and stealing and lying. and cut. Those sound pretty serious. Those sound like big things. If, if someone just gave us these, these um, you know, Words and we had to list them in order of priority. I'm not sure we would have done them in this order, but it's interesting. The first one, when God starts talking about and gives us his laws on how human beings are supposed to um, relate to one another in a proper way, the first thing he lists is Genesis 20:12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and mother. The first thing, the first word in this list is this thing called honor. And that honor is to be, first and foremost, existent in the family. Honor your father and mother, the core of the family. The core of a culture is the family. The, The core of a nation is its family. Because everything that we do as people is affected by our family. Whatever that was, good or bad, right or wrong, up or down, every every relationship we conduct or find ourselves in somehow has ties back to our family. Sometimes those ties have to be healed or fixed or broken. Sometimes those ties are beneficial and they help us build good, healthy relationships as we move forward. But the core is the family. Back in 1986, Pope John Paul II, in an address he was making, said this, as the family goes, so goes the nation and the whole world in which we live. I think he was right. I think that that's an absolutely true statement. See, the the family, God said, the family is like this incubator in, in which life is developed. It's this petri dish in which we are born into and, and it's our first understanding of social interaction. It's our first understanding of, of values and truths and beliefs and, and um, accountability and discipline and, and reward and, and punishment. It, it's our first um, experience in relationship. This thing called family. And the fifth commandment exalts the family and sets it up as the centerpiece 
of all of civilization. The family is the secret sauce of a society. And the secret sauce of the family is this thing called honor. It's this thing called honor. Honor is the lubricant, if you would, that makes relationships work smoothly, that makes relationships unfold properly. This thing called honor. And because it's a commandment, Christians need to understand, as we talk about and develop this thing called honor, some of the points I make, make you make you question or wonder, but as Christians, honor is not an option. Giving honor is not an option. It's God, these are not God's ten instructions, his suggestions, his ideas, his ideals. They're his commandments. And if you are a son or daughter of God, honor given to each other is not an option. And in fact, it's so important. It's the only of all his laws that he attached a promise to it. That the quality of your life, the days of your life are going to be increased and rich and full and beneficial if we live within this thing and treat one another as honor. So the title of my message today is Honor, the Promise of a Bright Future. And I'm going to try and answer two questions, and then we'll be done for this morning. I want to talk about or answer a question of what is honor, get a foundational understanding of it, and then I want to look at where does honor apply? How do we apply it in life? So let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for today. Father, we invite your presence Invite your Holy Spirit to come and to guide my conversation and my language, and I pray that you guide the hearing of your people. I pray, Father, that we hear your word for our hearts and our lives today, and that we hear them as mature sons and daughters, ready to hear, to learn, to listen, to follow, to apply. Teach us today, Lord. Thank you for your presence among us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Somebody turn to your neighbor and just smile. Now, how would they know? You, you have to do it by faith. Okay, what is honor? Let, let, let's, let's start there. Um, by definition, the most common definition, the com- most common word used in Scripture, it would be defined as something that carries weight. It's to give weight to something. Honor has a heaviness attached to it. It's, it's giving value. It's giving worth, giving esteem to our relationships. It's investing the, this weight into our relationships. And, uh, and honor also has, not only has it a weight, but it has, it has a height. There, there's something about honor in our understanding of it that honor lifts up. Lo- honor, it elevates, if you would. Um, we, we have graduations are coming up. We're going to honor graduates, birthdays and, and special um, anniversaries. Oh, we, we, our, our nation, it seems every time you turn around, there's some kind of an award ceremony. There's some kind of a, a, a thing where people are being honored, okay? We look at our court system, and the first thing they do is what? Someone stands up and says, all rise, the honorable so judge so-and-so comes in. And from there on, you know, you never, it's is Judge Frank Smith. You know, you never then, when it's your turn to talk, you don't say, hey, Frank. You say what? You say, your honor. Because there's just something about honor that, that elevates, that recognizes a, this worth in someone. And now, conversely, dishonor is, is much the opposite of that. Dishonor doesn't, doesn't give weight. It makes light of. It, it um, devalues. It disregards, it trivializes something or someone. It, it, it doesn't um, have height. Instead, it lowers or it brings down, it criticizes, it ignores, it, it reduces, it minimizes another person. The Bible teaches this, that honor, when we're talking about relationships, honor is both the baseline and the goal for all and of all human relationships. Is both the baseline. The, the poorest way we should treat one another is with honor. The poorest way we should treat other people, not just people in the room that we like, 
the poorest way we should treat other people is this level, this thing called honor, with honor. And it also is the highest goal because it's something we have to really work at. And we don't always get right all of the time. So it's the least and the most that we bring to each other, that we offer to other people. Now that makes sense for people we like. It's not terribly difficult to honor people that we like. And usually the people we like, or the people that we honor, are people who are like us. They think like us, they act like us. You know, they're, they're in our, they're in our, our sphere of, of people that we like. Now, true or false, don't answer this out loud. All right? But true or false, because we also think this. There are people that we know whether personally or we know of them, that don't deserve honor. There's people who act and live in such ways and do such things and support and promote such things that they don't deserve honor. A default in my thinking, I'll tell on me, is I would probably, if you just asked it and I flash responded right away, I might say true. I might say true. Let's be thankful of one thing. Let's be thankful that God doesn't think that way. Let's be thankful God doesn't think the way we think. Because at the end of the day, none of us deserve anything. Certainly not from him. The Bible says this, that he has not dealt with us according to our sin. Anyone want to say thank you? He hasn't dealt with, he doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Thank you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, there was nothing honorable about how we lived. While we were yet sinners, he loved us and died for us. See, we have to be careful about this thing of honor, of who we qualify and disqualify of who we honor and who we choose to say, well, they're, they're worthy of dishonor. Jesus hanging on a cross in front of the people who were the cause, who are applauding and grateful for and, and felt it was justified and right in what was taking place on a cross. He looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. That's honor. Honor is that big. Honor is that deep. See, in God's kingdom, every human being, every human life has intrinsic worth. Just because they're a human being, they have intrinsic worth, intrinsic value to God. Why? Well, number one, because he created them. Humankind exists and every human being exists because in God's design and desire which existed before he created caused him to create there's no surprises there's no one walking on the planet that God said whoa hey where'd you come from before he created he designed desired and ordained every human life just by his sovereignty And even though sin has corrupted us, God's value of them hasn't changed. Created, not only did he create them, but he created them, what? Yamago Dei, in his image. That image has been tarnished, but his desire is to win them back and restore his image that is still on them, just covered by the pollution of sin. See, every human worth has value. And that value isn't set by their behavior. That value is set by the blood of Jesus. How do you know what something's worth? It's what someone's willing to pay for it. Jesus paid for every human life with his blood. So every human life in the kingdom of God deserves to be honored. 
Not based on behavior. Based on the simple fact that they're walking on the planet. That they're living on the planet. And to dishonor another human being is to trivialize the blood of Jesus. Let's all just let out a a corporate sigh. Like, oh my goodness. I had to to think for a few minutes and, and talk myself into putting that in my notes. But it's true. But it's true. So let's look at how honor acts. All right? I have three things for you on how honor acts. Number one, honor extends mercy and grace. What's honor supposed to look like in our human relationships? It extends mercy and grace. David is being hunted. Back in Samuel, 1 Samuel, the 24th chapter, David's being hunted by King Saul. David didn't do anything wrong. But Saul is jealous in in an insane sort of way. And he's he's hunting down David, literally. Um, Saul is marching with 3,000 of his best troops. And... They have one task, and that's in search of David. They're going to find David and kill him. That, that was Saul's intent. And the, and the story is set up and saying that, that in their journey, Saul, and it's, it's sort of a, you know, maybe not, maybe not a polite thing to discuss, <laughs> but it's in Scripture, so, so you have to blame, blame God. Don't blame me. It's, it says that Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself, Okay. And it happens to be a cave where David and his guys are hanging out. They're hiding in this cave. And let's pick up the story. In in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 24, it says, And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I'll give your enemy into your hand, and you shall go do to him as it shall seem good to you. So what they're saying is, Dave, this makes sense. This is God. Saul is here. Your enemy is here. This is God's provision for your life. You can just wipe him out. Problem solved. And it says, David arose and stealthily, I would assume stealthily, cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Notice he didn't kill him. But he cut off a corner of, of Saul's robe. Now we would say maybe that was honor. He showed honor because he just cut off his robe. See, and sometimes I think we dismiss ourselves when we just show a little dishonor. Just a little dishonor. Do you ever, do you ever, this, you're probably too holy, but I'll, I'll talk about myself. There's been times I've made a joke about someone, and most of it was a joke. You know what I mean? Most of it was a joke. But there was a little part of it that was like, to get him. Now, you've never done that, I know. So please, and please pray for me. And, and, and forgive me that I even confessed that in front of you, if that has offended you in any way. But... That I want you to see the purity of honor. Verse 5 says that afterwards David's heart struck him. He cut off a little piece of corner of his robe instead of killing him. But his heart convicted him because he cut off the corner of the robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. David recognized the worth of King Saul. He recognized and put value on the life of King Saul. Now, listen, and this is probably an important point for us in in the time in which we live, because I think we're losing this this, this value as as a nation. David struggled with Saul's practice. Saul was chasing David for no reasons. No justifiable reasons. He struggled with Saul's practice, but he honored Saul's position. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, he, he honored the position. 
The Bible says something interesting. The Bible says that all authority, somebody say all. All. All authority is what? Do you know the rest of it? Is ordained by God. Assigned by God. Even authority we don't understand. Even authority we don't like. All authority. Whatever that authority is. Could be parental. Could be social, civil, governmental. All authority is, it, it exists under the authority of God. Doesn't mean all authority is proper or right or even godly. But somehow in God's scheme of things and his wisdom, he has established them and is allowing them to be all authority. David understood that truth. He said, I don't think what Saul is doing is right. And I disagree with what Saul is doing, but he's the king. And there's something in our nation that needs about honor that needs to be revived in this area. Where there's some places where honor needs to be given, maybe not because of the practice, but because of the position. Okay. You're too quiet, so I'll move on. You take it home and think about it and don't get mad at me. We owe mercy and grace. See, honor says we owe mercy and grace to others. And we don't get to select who those others are. We owe mercy and grace to all men. And when Saul realized the mercy and grace he had received from David, he repented. He wept. He, he actually admitted. He, he said out loud in front of his 3,000 troops, David, I recognize you're the next king of Israel. You're God's chosen. You're the one. I don't know why I'm fighting you, because I, I, I understand that you're the guy that God has chosen to take my place. And it says that Saul ended his pursuit. He went back home. He went back home. Honor has this ability when applied properly and sincerely. Honor has this ability. I wonder in, in human relationships. I wonder how many times in human relationships that, that are, are under stress or maybe have even been broken or, or, or fallen apart. I wonder had we worked at showing honor more than winning the fight. I wonder if in a relationship, sometimes if, in, if giving honor to the person instead of trying to prove our way, if it would have done more good. Think about it. David chose to honor instead of fight. And he won the battle. Number two, honor covers and conceals. It covers and conceals. Genesis 9, floodwaters are gone. Noah and his family are out of the ark on dry land. Verse 20 in chapter 9 says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked in backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Interesting story and account, but it gives us a great picture of, of a point, a thing about honor we need to grasp and understand. Why, why was Shem and Japheth's actions honorable and Ham's action were dishonored? I'll give you a clue. It wasn't the fact that Ham saw his father naked. That was not the problem. That, that was not his mistake. The, his mistake was that he did nothing about it and he told other people. That was the dishonor he showed. That's how he violated honor. Not, not because he happened on something that, I mean, it was, it was not something he was tr trying, planning, or expecting. Suddenly he saw something that perhaps he wishes sh even shouldn't have, but that wasn't the dishonor. The dishonor was he did nothing about it and he went and made light of it by telling others. Because true honor covers and conceals. 
True honor always protects and keeps confidence. See, true honor doesn't hear something and their first reaction is, I better go post this on Facebook. Facebook, this is really Facebook. This is, this is really good stuff. I better call so-and-so so that they know and they're aware. Before we post and do all that other stuff, we need to pause and think, wait, honor always covers and conceals. It always protects and keeps confidence. Honor. See, his other two sons showed honor. They covered Noah, and they never talked about it again. You want to hurt a relationship? Dishonor it by not keeping confidences. Dishonor it by sharing personal things about that person with other people, without that person's knowledge, regard, or permission. It dishonors, dishonors and tarnishes the relationship. You've heard the, the, the adage. Your, your mom's probably told you this. If you can't say something nice about somebody, <laughs> right? Now, that's one of those things that sometimes people who don't really know the word of God think it's in the Bible. But it's not in the Bible. But this is. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. You want other people to treat you with honor? To, to cover you and conceal when you mess up? You do it first. You treat others that way. Thirdly, these aren't real let's applaud and clap kinds of things, are they? These are more the pick your feet up because we're stepping on toes kinds of things. Honor obeys when it's hard. Honor obeys when it's hard. Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last meal they're going to share together. The disciples probably weren't really aware of it, even though he had told them. But, and Jesus does something that, when you look at it from a human perspective, is a difficult thing to do. It says that at one point he gets up, leaves the table, he takes off his outer garment, he, he um, puts a, takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, gets a basin of water, and he goes, and one by one, he kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. John 13, starting in the last part of verse 12. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Honor can be hard. Honor can be difficult. It can, it can be awkward. It can be unappealing. It, it can be the last thing we want to do. That doesn't mean we shouldn't. Honor is hard. You know why? Number one, it attacks our pride. It attacks our pride, and sometimes it even attacks our sense of fairness. I shouldn't honor that person. They don't deserve it. We've thought that. Our sense of fairness. Or it attacks our pride because we have a hard time. Pride doesn't want to honor someone else. We want to get honor, but we don't necessarily naturally like to give honor. We want to be applauded, but we're sometimes a little jealous when others get applauded. Because that, that thing inside of us that's called, that's called pride. Jesus is teaching something really important here about honor. He, he's saying that obedience to him has to override our offense at others. Obedience to him has to take the place above any offense that we carry. The number one struggle, perhaps, or obstacle to honor may, may be this thing we call offense. Something that violates my sensibility. Something that goes against the way I think, the way I feel, what I want, what I desire, the way that I do life. Someone wants to challenge that or change it or does it differently. Suddenly that, that 
makes me withdraw, makes me withhold. And it's amazing the things that we can be offended about. It really is. If you look at them and strip them down to what they really are, we, sh- we just get embarrassed, if we be honest. Gender, race, poverty, wealth, position, education, heritage, the list can go on and on and on. That things that, that offend us about other people because they, they strike something inside of us that, that in our mind, in our justification, disqualifies that person, diminishes that person, makes them less, devalues that other person because of these things. Jesus is teaching something important. He said, listen, you can't obey me and carry an offense at another human being. Should have brought in a little soundtrack of crickets. Do we have that layout? Can we get crickets? You can't really obey me. You can't follow me. You can't follow my example and carry an offense towards someone else. Can I tell you something? When Jesus washed their feet, Judas was still in the room. He hadn't left yet. And Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He washed his feet. What would we have done? He said, oh, Peter, John, Bartholomew, oh, Judas. We'll skip you, go to the next one. Or could have done the whole, you know, whoever dips with me thing before the washing of the feet and excluded him. But Jesus did everything on purpose and in the right order. You can't really obey Jesus and be carrying an offense towards someone else. We can't follow the world's lead in this thing and follow Christ at the same time. The the two aren't compatible. We, We can't have the spirit of the age and be saying we're living these lives of wonderful obedience to the Lord because they they don't both can't exist at the same time. Not in be like him. And isn't that the goal of the Christian life? To become more and more like him? That his image and likeness would become more and more our image and likeness? That we would reflect more and more his character, his nature in us? And his nature is to give honor. Even to those who abused him. He saw value. He saw worth in them. I hope you're catching the gravity of this thing called honor. I hope, I hope you're getting the weight of this thing. And, and I'm, I'm in trouble because I'm now to my second question, and, and my time is almost out. Where does honor apply? Let me, let me try and get through them really quickly if I can. And you'll, you can go home and develop them on your own because here's this thing called honor, and it's huge. It's huge. It's irreplaceable. In human relationships, honor is irreplaceable. If we're going to have good relationships, healthy relationships, where do they apply? Number one, of course, family. We're we're in the fifth commandment. Family. Honor begins at home. We were created to live in family. There's this innate drive inside of every human heart that wants to be in family, desires family, to such a point that if we don't have one, we'll go find one. We'll go create one. And they may, need, they may not be healthy. They may not be even good models. But there's this innate drive inside of us that wants to be in community, in family, with other people. I recognize today in our culture, when, when, when this was written in, in, in the book of Exodus, family perhaps had a much narrower understanding than the world in which we live today. I know there's all kinds of families and there are all kinds of experiences that we've had in those different families, but that's not the burden of of where I want to go today in the message. I I can't deal with all those variants, but I I would say this, that the family exists only because God willed it to exist. The family exists by the will of God, which in my understanding means this, Only God then gets to define it. Do you understand that? Only God gets to really say what the family is. 
what a family is. And then we have to bring life in line with what he says. Because anything other than his definition is false. It is fake. Because family is not a human construct. It's divine in its origin. It came out of the heart of God. So it must be something really important and something good for us. So today, whatever your family may look like, whatever your family experience has been or hasn't been, I I, I don't want to go that way. I want to just apply the fifth commandment to it. Okay, I want to look at the fifth commandment in light of what your experience is about this thing called honor. And it begins in the family because the family has a ripple effect in our lives. What happens to us in family carries us through life. And and many people spend their lifetime trying to get over some things about family or are, are propelled through life because of things that they learned and developed in their families. That honor can never permeate a culture unless it first permeates the home. Kingdom honor. It starts in the family, the nucleus of civilization. Paul gives us a great picture of a family unit. Um, Colossians 3, verses 18 to 21. You'll know it as we read it. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children um, lest they become discouraged. Now, I have to give a disclaimer. This is probably one of the most used and misused scriptures in the Bible when it comes to this thing called family. We, we terribly love to cherry pick out of this passage. And, and we like to pull out the parts, right? We like to pull out the parts that fit us. And, and we, have, we have, even within family, and I've heard some of the teachings, we, we've almost like weaponized this, this passage. You know, where different, whether you're husband, wife, children, we use it against each other. Well, you, 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 oh, you want me to? Well, look what you're supposed to be doing for it. Can I tell you something? Paul gives this to us as a model. He's saying, here's what the family is to be. Here's what a a family that's based on, built around this thing called honor. Here's what it looks like, lives like, acts like, talks like, walks like, thinks like. That you have a wife who honors their husband by respecting the headship that God has assigned to them. You have a husband that honors their wives by cherishing them the same way that Christ cherishes his church. You have children honoring parents through their obedience, which will, in response, bring blessing back into their lives. The problem with children, sometimes they don't understand that. But it brings blessing back into their lives. Parents love to bless their children who who obey who stay within the guidance of the admonition of the Lord that parents are trying to instill in them. Fathers, and we could say fathers and my parents, about not provoking your children. Well, what provokes children? The word there means stirs up. What, what stirs up a child to the point, it says, of being discouraged? What, what stirs up a child? Or how can we provoke them to being discouraged? Can I tell you something? It's not about putting them in a timeout. It, it, it's not about correcting them. It's not about saying no. Now, listen, they're never going to like that when you do it. Okay, the next time you have to correct your child, your son, chances are they're not going to stand up and applaud. Oh, yay, mommy. Very good, very good. Good call. They're never going to like it. But it won't discourage them. Why? Because kids are smart. They know they messed up. And they know they got caught. And they know that the punishment is warranted. And so they're good. They're going to complain. They're going to try and make you feel bad, feel guilty about it. Get over it. They're going to be all right. What discourages them? When, when honor is withheld, when they, when they are dishonored, that discourages them. When they're dishonored, 
when, when they're made to feel of less value, insignificant, unimportant, overlooked, dismissed, ignored. See, because when you're dealing with these other behavioral issues, you're dealing with something they did. When you talk about discouragement that comes from this other place of being dishonored, overlooked, minimized, feeling less than, that's not about what they did. That's about who they are. That's touching their, their very soul and their own worth. When, when a parent treats a child in a way that says to them, you're in my way, you're not important. And, and every parent is just feeling really bad right now because we've all done it in various degrees, not even aware of it. But that's what, that's what Paul's talking about. And he gives us this picture of this family that lives in honor of one another. And when that's at the heart, there's nothing in here that's negative. There's nothing in here that's restrictive, that's limiting. There's nothing in here that is more exalted or superior or less exalted and inferior. There's nothing in here except honor by God's design. Listen, you may hear that and say, that ain't my family. Then here's my advice. Start it. You be the one. You be the one to start the ball rolling. God, how can I show and bring more honor into my house, into my family? Doesn't, I don't care who you are, father, mother, kid. How can I bring honor into my family and, and, and model that? Number, oh my goodness. Number two, honor applies to the church, or it applies to the family. It, 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 it's taught in the family, and honor applies to the church. In the family, we learn honor. The church is where we work it out. The spiritual community. That, that's, where, that's where we work it out. A lot of things we work out at home, where sort of we learn it, we practice it, but, but then we get it in a bigger community to, to really see if it's real. Now, I love Paul challenges us to a competition in this area. And, and, and I love it. He says in, in Romans 12, 13, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. He challenges us. What, what, if, what would the church look like if we competed in showing honor? Between men and women, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, educated, not educated, all those things. What if we competed with one another in showing honor? What if we competed with one another where, of surrendering our preferences so we can make room for others and include others instead of making our way the right way? What if we competed with each other looking to serve instead of be served? Setting aside this consumeristic mentality that we've adopted and just by the culture we live in. The church is all about me and serving me and doing what I think is right. What if we changed our language and honored one another by using words like us and we instead of them and they? By encouraging, defending, and forgiving each other quickly. By finding ways to bless and be generous instead of doing minimal. See, the kingdom of God, which includes his church, is a kingdom of honor. I came across a great quote. It says, if we're destined to honor each other in eternity, we should honor each other now. Great author, by the way. I think the guy's brilliant. The queen of Sheba comes to visit David. Remember that story? She had heard things about or Solomon, rather. She, she heard things about Solomon, about his kingdom, how wise he was, how, how unbelievable his kingdom was, and, and just the, the goodness and the depths. Of the, like, she couldn't believe it. She, she didn't believe the story. She had to come on her own, and she came. And, and the, the Bible says that she was blown away. She couldn't believe this kingdom that Solomon had built, and the reason was because honor was at the center of it. Honor was at the core of it. From the honor he, that he gave and expressed in his house to the honor he gave and expressed in God's house to the honor between and that he showed and they, and they showed to each other between his officials and his servants, 
the, the way that they addressed each other, the entire culture was built around this thing of, of this virtue called honor. And when she came and she observed it, the Bible says this, there was no more breath in her. She couldn't believe it. She just, she just gasped like, she'd never seen anything like that, never experienced anything like that. In fact, she's quoted then as saying that, you know, I heard the stories. I came because I just couldn't believe what was being, what was being told out there, what they're talking about and saying out there about you. So I had to come on my own. But you know what? She said, the half hasn't been told. They minimized. They weren't even close to the reality of what I've seen and what I've experienced, all because this thing called honor was at the center of the relationships within Solomon's kingdom. I need the worship team to come on up. And I, if you guys are here, maybe I'll shut up. <laughs> Last one. Honor applies to all of life. Okay? Starts in the family. What's learned in the family, what's worked out in the church, has to be modeled in the world. We have to export it. Yeah, let's develop it in our homes. Yeah, let's share it with one another. But now we have to go from this place and we have to model it out there. Peter sums it up. I, I, can't, I can't beat Peter's explanation. First Peter 2.17, honor everyone. <laughs> That's pretty complete. He says, honor everyone. If you read the context, and he's talking about everyone. Not just our family, not just Christian, other Christians who think and you know, believe like we do, but he says honor everyone from, from, the, from the, the emperor to the lowest servant. Honor everyone. Verse 18 says, not only the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. Honor everyone. Folks, listen, we can't allow ourselves to be pulled into or dictated to buy the spirit of the age. We just can't, not as Christians. We're in this world, but we're not of it. We're citizens of a much higher kingdom. And the values of that kingdom work better than the values of this kingdom. If honor is going to survive in America, I believe it has to be revived in the church. And then we need to carry it into our world. Because the reality is this. You can't release the fragrance of Christ to someone you don't honor. It, 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 it kills the smell. If there's someone you can't honor... In some way, if you can't find worth or value in them, whether it's just because of their position or simply because God loves them. God created them. They're on this planet, not by accident. If you have to get that baseline, go that way. But honor is what you're going to find is required of you. And if we can't truly, sincerely give honor, they're not going to be moved or even be aware of the fragrance of Christ that is supposed to permeate our lives, that we're supposed to carry with us into the world in which we live. Pastor, that's, that's so, that, it's not that simple. I, I get it. I know. I'm not saying it's simple. I, I'm really not saying that at all. It's hard. I recognize that. I'm, but I am saying this. It's not simple, but it is that powerful. Honor, this thing God gives us it's, and calls us to of honor. It can restore a family. It can revive a church. It can reconcile a nation. This thing called honor, but somebody has to model it. And that's our role. That's our part to play. Not it could be us. It should be us. to take it to the world in which we live. Why don't you stand? And, and take a moment here at home. I don't know if you're standing or not, but it, do this, all of us. 
ask, ask the Holy Spirit, just, just bow your head, close your eyes for a moment if, you, if you're okay with that. And, and ask the Holy Spirit, what, what does this message mean to you today? What, what is this, how is this message supposed to affect you today in your real relationships? Right now, in your home, in your church, in your world. What does, what does God ask of you today in, re, in response to the preaching of his word? What, what does the Holy Spirit maybe impress on you, even, even in this time of, of quietness, of what needs to be changed or added or stopped? Who do you need to talk to? Or who do you need to change the way you talk to? Who do you need to change? Where do you need to change the way you think about someone? Remember I said at the beginning when we talked about this commandment, it's the only one of the 10 that comes with a promise. That this is so important that God added a promise to it that if we'll learn to honor one another, then the qualities of our days, he's going to improve. Not, not maybe just the length of our days, but certainly the quality of our days are going to take us further. If we'll learn this one thing and employ it in our lives and export it from our lives. I, I, I challenge you to take the challenge to find those relationships that the Holy Spirit's nudging you about right now and choose to show honor. It's going to be awkward. I, I'll grant you that. It's going to feel awkward. But I promise you this, if you'll make it a practice, if you'll make it a habit, it'll only feel awkward until it doesn't. <laughs> because it'll become a part of you. It won't be something you have to make yourself put on. It'll just become a garb you wear. This thing called honor. And if you'll work it, it'll change your world. It will alter your life for the good. Father, first of all, Lord, thank you for the honor you show us. We recognize today that we're, we're void of any merit. We understand with the scripture, it says, who, who am I that you're mindful of me? But yet, out of your love, you choose to honor. And you have honored us. We're standing here as sons and daughters of God. What greater honor could we attest to? God, would you revive inside of us the, the truth and the reality and the power of this virtue? Would you, Lord, by your grace, move into relationships, maybe that are less than ideal, maybe that are struggling. Move into relationships that are strong and healthy, but revive and bring to greater depths and expression this thing called honor. Let that become part of who we are and how we live and think and act, walk and feel in life that when we see others we look for ways to show honor. And Lord, through that, your presence will be communicated. Your love will be communicated. Your power will be released in that relationship. There'll be a drawing and a unifying that takes place. God, we give ourselves to you as your sons and daughters today. We receive your word. I pray now you seal it in us, that it's not something we just dismiss and go on with other things, but 
Holy Spirit, bring this back to us over and over and over again until we really employ it into our lives. Thank you for your word that's so clear and so dynamic. Thank you for your people that hear it and receive it. And thank you that you say it'll never return void, that it's going to bring a fruitfulness in their life and in their relationships that will bring you glory. I pray as we go from your house today that you dismiss us with your peace and your joy. I ask that your blessing rest upon your people, those here, those at home. Lord, bless every household. Bless every relationship. And let us carry your fragrance and emit your fragrance in every one of those relationships until Jesus comes. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I'm so glad you're here today. Have a wonderful